What's going on, everybody? I'm Jeff St. Pierre, and this is episode 115 of the Adult Education Podcast. This week, I'm joined by comedian Kiki Anderson. Thank you so much for checking out my show. I appreciate you taking some time out of your day to listen to Adult Education. This show is all about learning new things or maybe learning more about some topics that you're already familiar with. I speak with experts across all fields to learn more about health, education, music, technology, mental health, and really just about anything that I find interesting. If you'd like to support adult education, the best way to do that is to leave a five-star rating on whatever platform you're listening on. And if you like what you hear, please share it with your friends. The word of mouth can really help to inspire new people to check out the show. As I mentioned a few weeks ago on the show, I'm trying to branch out a little bit more and speak with some different folks. I really want to speak with a wider variety of people to find out more about their story and their craft. I've been a little nervous about this week's conversation, I'll be honest, uh, for a couple of reasons. One reason is that she's a comedian, and interviewing comedians can be tough for, for both the interviewer and the interviewee. I feel like a lot of conversations I hear with comedians go awry because the guest either tries too hard to be funny or gets agitated because they don't want to be funny and they feel like that's the expectation. There's also times when the host is trying way too hard to be funny to impress the comedian or they expect too much from the guest. And I, I didn't want any of these scenarios to happen because I have a lot of respect for my guests this week. So I tried really hard just to keep this a pretty straightforward conversation. The other reason is that I've loosely known this person for years. I, I work in radio in Baltimore, Maryland, and she used to do TV news here in Baltimore. We've got mutual friends and I used to do some work for her TV station, uh, the local affiliate at Fox 45, but we've never met in person. We've followed each other on social media, but never crossed paths. And I don't really know why, but I was just kind of nervous to talk to her. So my guest today is Kiki Anderson. She's a stand-up comedian and former journalist. As you'll hear in the conversation, she had a growing career as a TV reporter, but decided to give it all up because she had a passion for comedy. She packed up her life in Baltimore, moved across the country to Los Angeles to start completely over. And I just, I have so much admiration for her strength to do that. That's such an impressive thing to me to do, just to say, hey, this is going pretty well, but you know what? It's not what I love anymore. I want to stop. I want to start over and do something else. And I feel like her story is exactly what I do this podcast for. So I can't wait to share that story with you. Before we start, though, a couple quick things. One is that you're going to notice a little clicking at the start of the interview. That only sticks around for a couple of minutes before we figure out what that issue is. So don't let that bother you. It's not going to be here for the entire conversation. Also, you may hear my daughter in the background a little bit. Uh, let's just say that nap time on the day we recorded this conversation did not go very well. All right. So please enjoy Kiki Anderson. Hi, how are you? Sorry for the delay. No, you are all good. You're all good. I'm just making sure that I've got the right things recording and doing what they got to do. Do you have a little person on you? I do have a little person on me. Hi. She's so cute. <laughs> <laughs> she, uh, it's funny. Whenever I want her to take a nice long nap, she won't. And whenever I want her to take a normal nap, she does. Like, it goes the opposite of whatever I need. You know, like today I was like, just take a normal hour and a half nap. And like, Three hours later, I'm like, all right, I got to wake you up. Let's go. Come on. <laughs> Keeps it interesting. <laughs> uh, yeah, that's for sure. That's for sure. So how are you? Good, man. I'm, I'm glad that we finally got a time in. I'm sorry. My schedule's all over the place. Oh, my gosh. Please do not worry about it. It is totally fine. I get it. Uh, that's that's life. Plus, you're on the West Coast versus the East Coast. There's that time difference, which kind of messes things up, too. So I totally get it. 
Yeah, yeah. How are how are you? Uh, I'm great. I'm great. It's just nice to uh, finally be talking to you. I feel like I've known you for so many years just through social media because of our media connections in Baltimore, yeah. but have never actually met. In fact, it was like a running joke at Fox for a while because I used to do a weekly segment with Candace. And I would kind of roll in and she knew that I thought you were like that you were cool or whatever. So I'd walk in, I'd be like looking around the studio and Candace would just look at me and go, she's not here, Jeff. <laughs> I'd be like, all right, I guess Kelly's not here. I guess we're not. <laughs> oh, that's funny. Yeah. Yeah. No, I followed you for a while. So tell me a little bit about this show. What, what is this for? Yeah. So this is a podcast I started a couple years ago. It kind of began as like a wellness focused podcast idea. And then I was like, I really kind of hate the wellness community right now because Everyone just has all their wacky theories and it's like all or nothing. You have to do this or you're going to die. And I just Uh was like, I got to get out of this. So now I just kind of try to talk to people that I find interesting and learn more about that story, about how they got to where they are and how they are really good at what they do, which I think that you are when it comes to comedy. So I'd love to hear more of your story. Oh, thanks, man. I needed to hear that today. <laughs> you don't always feel good at what you do. <laughs> well, I, I've I've been following the journey, uh, but I really have no idea like how you got to this point. So if you don't mind, can we start a few years back? Is that okay? Totally. Yeah, you take it away. You, you lead me. Okay. <laughs> lead me there. All right. So you're from the Pacific Northwest, right? I'm actually from D.C. You're from D.C.? I live... Yeah, I grew up... Well, I was born in D.C., grew up in Silver Spring, and then I went out to college in Arizona, Arizona State, go Devils. And then I moved to Eugene for news, and then I moved back to Baltimore for news, and now I'm in L.A. Okay, all right, so I had that backwards. So you went to, you were working out there, but there is a connection. At least I'm not totally crazy, so that's good. No, no, not totally crazy, just a little. So uh, what um, when you were living in the D.C. area, what made you want to go out to Arizona State? I, I know you've done, you started your career in news and in TV, so is that what you were thinking about growing up? Were you like, no, nah, I really want to be in a reporter. I really want to get my hands dirty in this. No. <laughs> um, my dad was a journalist, so okay. it was something that kind of just happened naturally for me, but I... I wanted to be Jon Stewart. I wanted to be hosting The Daily Show. That was my dream back then. It's not anymore, but... I hear there's an opening. uh, Yeah. (laughs) Well, if you know anybody, submit my resume for me. I wanted to do the, like, late night. I loved that there was a newsy element to it. I felt like I was getting smarter watching TV. But I loved the idea of comedy. I loved the idea of making things palatable for everybody and kind of being able to unite people and make everybody laugh at something. But the truth is, I didn't know anybody that was doing comedy. Uh, So it wasn't something I understood. I had no idea that was what was an improv class. Like, I didn't know anything about a tight five or open mics. Like, it wasn't a world I was exposed to. So I just kind of went with what I was good at, which was news. I was on the school paper. I was doing well there. Uh, I got accepted to Arizona State, which happened to have a really good journalism program. And then, you know, I did well in school. I had job offers and I still hadn't found comedy. Like I still wasn't like I knew it's what I wanted and I had no idea how to get there. So I was like, you know, at some point the things will line up. I'm just I need a job. I'm going to go work in the news. And I'm glad I did. Like, I think sometimes I go back and I'm like, oh, I should have. I wish I had found comedy when I was 16 years old. So I'd already be where I want to be. But the truth is, I had to have that journey with news to have the perspective I have now. So four years of news later, I quit. And now I'm doing stand up full time. <laughs> so 
I, I'm curious, what is it like to have grown up with a dad in journalism in D.C.? Because, I mean, that is that's like the journalism capital. There's so much happening in D.C. all the time that I'm curious yeah. what it was like for you as a child growing up and kind of watching what he does and being around that. Yeah, well, I think growing up around the D.C. area, first of all, is a huge privilege. Sure. Like, I definitely didn't grow up privileged. Like, I didn't grow up with money or anything. But I grew up in a super diverse neighborhood. Um Although I'm Latina, I look like this. <laughs> um, and I grew up in a Black and Latino neighborhood. So I had exposure to a lot of different cultures and ideas. And there's a lot of smart people in that area. And having my dad be in the journalism world, like, exposed me to different types of different lifestyles mm -hmm. out there. Like, it was like, you know, there's these other things happening outside of your bubble that you need to be aware of. It forced me to be not like woke. I don't like he's not word. But it forced me to be empathetic to other people's situations and be curious about the world. And I think comedy is the same thing. You have to take this curiosity about the world and kind of figure out what that means. What's the truth there? Um, yeah, you know, it's funny. Whenever my friends come through the town or come through the area, I'm always, they always ask me what's so special about this area, the D.C. Baltimore area. And that's what I say. I say diversity is what it is. Like, there's something so cool about being in a city where there's representatives from literally every country, every state, everything you can imagine in the world all in one tiny, you know, however many square miles it is area. Like if you want Mexican food, if you want Jamaican food, if you want Kenyan food, if you want whatever, you can find it in DC. You can find touring performances. You can, I mean, there is so much culture from everywhere right here at your fingertips. Totally. And I started comedy out in Baltimore um, and a little bit in DC. And I felt really spoiled in that way. Like the audiences are smart, you know, in Baltimore, I think they're a little bit more artsy. And so mm -hmm. they let you play a little more as opposed to DC is a little more buttoned up, but because the audience is smarter, they expect a certain level of comedy from you. And I think it forces you to get good fast. And I don't know if I was good when I left Baltimore for LA, but at least I had an idea of what I was supposed to be doing. Did your background of being in this general region, the Baltimore DC region, is that how you ended up coming back over to the East Coast to do news? Well, I knew when I moved I wanted to move home for a while. Uh, I wanted to be with my family. And I knew when I moved out there that I was going to just go all in on comedy. What I didn't know was that Baltimore had a great scene. Like, I knew DC did, but I didn't realize Baltimore had this amazing, like, just blossoming comedy scene. And I found it. I actually started with improv and sketch. Um, and then I got into stand-up. And that was just such a blessing. Because it was like, I, you know, I was working the morning shift at... Fox 45, you know, going to work at two o'clock in the morning and I was working at the comedy clubs till one in the morning. So I was often just going straight to work, you know, <laughs> I'd be rolling in there to do my weekly segment with Candace at like 10, 15 in the morning. And there would be occasions where I'd like see you off in the distance. And I would think I should say hi to Kelly. I'm like, no, nah, she's probably going somewhere. You're probably going to bed is where you were going at that point. <laughs> yeah. Health was not a priority back then. I was loopy most of the time, but I loved what I was doing. But, you know, it became a problem because you can't report on the mayor and then talk shit about the mayor. Yeah. <laughs> so at some point you have to make a choice. That's a fair point. I never really thought about that. Like you're doing you have to be, you know, a serious reporter and have some clout and get people to respect you to get the interviews, to get the conversations. So, yeah, if they hear on the back end that you're also talking shit about them in your routine, that would become a huge. I never even thought about that. Yeah, I don't think that there was a ton of overlap in terms of people that go to comedy shows and people that watch local news, but it did happen <laughs> sometimes. 
And they'd be like, oh, you're the girl from the news. And I would lie. I'd say, no, I'm not. (laughs) (laughs) You know, no, you you got to twist it. That's not me. (laughs) Whenever I make a slight joke about something on the air, because I do uh, radio, I do country radio. If I make a slight joke about the news on the air, people will email or call and be like, well, this is news. You got to be serious. And I'm like, yeah, but we're like a topical country, like entertainment morning show i'm gonna make jokes about the news i'm not the reporter i'm just kind of giving you headlines like <laughs> yeah i think radio is a little more flexible that way but honestly now that i'm on the comedy side i do get frustrated watching the news because yeah. i do just want the news and i think somewhere in the last like 10 years people realize like the economy of being funny like oh if you're funny like people will like you more people will listen more mm-hmm. but i think that's become a problem with news it's like i don't want to watch cnn and get don lemon's opinion i just want the news you know but he has to be this personality and it's like that's that's not what i want but i also realize that that's what i wanted to be i wanted to be the person that was commenting on the news so you can't be both yeah it's tough because like you were saying earlier like the daily show was kind of your goal like that kind of thing was your goal that's what really impressed you and inspired you and that is awesome but that is a satire show that's that is developed to be that like it's developed to be that thing but when you're watching a normal news program like you kind of just want the the stuff like give me the meat and potatoes you know even though that you you're watching for personalities but you still just really want the legit facts you know it's tough right yeah it just becomes distracting like like i always kind of use the analogy like comedians are just are, you know, like the news is like the chef, they cook it up and like lay it out for you. But comedy is the food critic and they, yeah. tell you how, they tell you how it tastes, you know, and I wanted to be the food critic, but you can't, you can't criticize your own work when you're, <laughs> you can't, you can't have a full perspective on it and you shouldn't like, you shouldn't be talking about what you think about the news. You should just be trying to figure out what's true. So what's interesting to me is you were very good at doing the news and it's not just me giving you that opinion. You won an Emmy. Like you, you had a lot of respect. You did a really good job at what you were doing. So I know comedy was something that was in your head for a long time, but it's interesting to me to see you say, that's it. I'm done with news and I'm going all in on this thing that I'm kind of unproven at, you know, like I, I appreciate that, that, uh, motivation you had to say, forget it. If I'm going to do this, I got to go all in. I can't be splitting my time between the two, even though one thing it seems to be working out really well for me. I have to go with what I love. It depends on what day you catch me when rent is due. I'm like, ah, oh, fuck. I should have stayed in the news. <laughs> yeah. When rent is due, I'm like, oh, I wish I had health insurance. I wish I had all these other things that I had when I had my cush job. But when I had those things, I wasn't happy. Like, even in those successful moments when I won an Emmy, those moments were so few and far between. They didn't taste as good as comedy. Comedy is so rewarding for me. Like, all the time, working on a joke and getting it right and getting a reaction and learning why people are laughing at things and what people care about and trying to stay current like with what people want to hear you know is is the funnest challenge of my life and news definitely exposed me to a lot of things happening in this country that i otherwise wouldn't have been exposed to i feel like i met everybody you know every kind of person and that's so lucky like i got to go on this crazy ride but the long term of it just didn't it didn't entice me like i didn't want to be working the morning show i didn't want to be working holidays i didn't I didn't want to be reporting on like the state fair, you know, half the time. So like 
that just was, I didn't want to be doing that anymore. I wanted to be doing comedy. I joked with one of my coworkers once many years ago because there was a reporter and I forget what their name was at this point, but they were an older gentleman and he was doing a report from the state fair about the pigs or something. And I just sat there and I said to one of my coworkers, I'm like, if I'm doing that when I'm 65 years old, just end me. Like I, like, <laughs> like I'm sure he loves what he does. I'm sure it's great for him, but I'm just like, I don't want to be talking about pigs at the state fair on TV or on the air when I'm 65 years old. <laughs> no, I mean, there's definitely worse jobs. Sure, it was sure. fun when I had to do those kinds of assignments. And sometimes you don't want to be reporting on like horrible murders. Sometimes you just want to report on something light. But if somebody once said to me, like a friend of mine was like, you obviously can't stop doing comedy. That's why you're doing it all the time. And you're risking your job to do it. So if you're risking your job to do it, it's the thing you you can't let go of. And maybe you should try it. And I don't know what the 10 year prognosis for this career is, you know, like, I don't know where I'll be in 10 years, but at least I gave it everything. Yeah. So you walked away from news in 2018, I believe it was. Yeah. I'm always fascinated by the moment, if you will, like the moment when an author has their big idea for a book or, or the moment an athlete decides that it's time to take it to the next level. What was the moment for you? Like the moment when you realized it was comedy or nothing? think that there was like a moment like I I always knew from the very beginning that at some point the two things were gonna either merge or diverge you know like like it, there was gonna either it was either gonna work out or I was gonna have to make it work out and so when my contract was over I was like well here this is a clear choice like I don't want to renew and I have nothing else lined up so let's go um but I think when Michelle Wolf did the White House Correspondence Dinner that was a very influential moment because a lot of people were mad at Michelle Wolf especially in the media they were like oh how could she talk about the media that way to their faces and like she's all these horrible things and I was like no I'm with her <laughs> I, I liked her opinion I liked what she had to say I thought it was honest I thought the criticisms were fair and if I'm having to pick who I admire here, I think I admire her. I think what she did was really hard. You said you've been growing in the Baltimore comedy scene, which I feel so bad that I'm so ignorant about. Like, I know there's clubs and I've been to them a couple of times. I didn't realize there was a scene growing, which I think is awesome. And now I feel like I have to investigate more because I feel woefully ignorant about that. But you were growing in the Baltimore comedy scene. Did you know immediately you wanted to go straight to L.A.? Or did you think, like, I want to grow here a little bit first? The dream was New York. Uh, okay. L.A. just happened because... I have a lot of family here and we had moved my mom out here because she's getting older and, you know, we needed more help with her. My sister could help take care of her. And so it was just kind of the natural progression of things. I always wanted to do that New York grind and maybe someday I still will. Um, but LA has been good to me, so I can't complain too much. And the weather's nice and there's beaches. So <laughs> yeah, there are worse places to live for sure. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> and L.A.'s got a great comedy scene. I mean, historically, L.A. has a fantastic. I mean, it's L.A. and New York. Those are the two places where you always hear about people breaking into comedy. Yeah, I've been really, really lucky. I think actually this week marks four years since I moved here. Um, and I've met and worked with almost all of my idols. Uh, and I don't know if that would have happened for me in New York. I think it's a lot harder in New York. I've had opportunities here that just exposed me to the best, whether I was working with them or just watching them. And who's a better teacher than your favorite comedian in the world, you know? And I get to just sit there and analyze and think and like watch and see when they bomb, because even your favorite comedian bombs sometimes, you know? 
Sure. Those I mean, are teaching moments. You don't know what you're doing wrong until you bomb at it. Like, I know it sounds weird to think of it from that perspective, but that's the only way you can get better is to have a terrible night. So then you can go back and say, all right, well, that didn't work. Let's get back to the drawing board and figure out what does. Yeah. Bomb has such a negative connotation to it, such a stigma, but you have to bomb. Like you have to try things and try a new perspective and, you know, push a little boundary here and there to see, to, to stay current because those, those goalposts change all the time. It's the same in TV and radio. I, I don't know what they're called in TV, but in radio, we call them air check meetings. Essentially, we sit down with our boss and listen to recordings of ourselves. It's terrible. I hate doing it. I've never been comfortable doing it because no one likes to listen to their own voice, A. And B, nobody likes to be picked apart for what they say. But these moments are important. It's important to get that constructive criticism. I've got a coworker who just cannot take it. She cannot take constructive criticism. She sits in these meetings and she starts crying as soon as the boss has something to say. And I'm always like, how are you going to get better if you don't let anybody else with an objective mind tell you what you might be doing wrong? Yeah, I think I, I read this interview with Stephen Colbert a few years ago, and I don't know if this is his quote or if he was quoting somebody else, but he was saying you have to learn to love the bomb. And that is such a liberating mindset, not just for comedy, but like for life, right? Like be vulnerable. And like people think the word vulnerable means like, oh, I'm just letting out all my emotions. No, it's just allowing yourself to be open to criticism and exposing who you really are to people and just being genuine and authentic, you know? And you have to learn to love those moments because that's where you grow. So when you're getting ready to do comedy, do you... <laughs> I keep saying do comedy. There's got to be a better way to say that. All right, I'm going to work on that. When you're getting ready to do a stand-up routine, what was the biggest challenge for you to get over? What was the biggest challenge in your transition from doing broadcast journalism in news into becoming a comic? Uh, well, the first struggle, I think, was to not talk like a reporter on, on stage. <laughs> <laughs> that was my first initial struggle because... Yeah, I grew up, I think I had kind of a twang in my voice growing up, uh, just because I grew up in, like, a, like I said, like a black Latino neighborhood. Like I had teachers tell me, like, you sound a certain way and that doesn't work for on air. So I really worked hard to change that on air and sound very buttoned up and like kind of talk from the back of your mouth. But then that doesn't work for comedy. Nobody wants to hear you talk like this, you know? So D, like, like untraining myself that way was and learning to just be loose on stage was important, but media training does help. It made me yeah. comfortable. Like it made me fine being in front of people. I wasn't really shy. So that was a benefit and also a curse. But then I think the ongoing struggle forever is just like finding your voice. Like, yeah, <laughs> you yeah. know, everyone talks about is like, who are you on stage? What's your point of view? What's your brand? I hate that word brand. It's the curse of my existence, but yeah, it's just figuring out what are you bottling and selling to people. So what, lining up to see your show. All right. So what did you figure out? I think it's actually in kind of a trend transitional period right now. I like dark humor. I like you don't humor, say. But <laughs> <laughs> I like being able to criticize things, but also I don't want somebody to walk away from my set ever like hating the state of the world. Like I hope people feel optimistic and realize that we can laugh at things. I think any comedian would say that. It's interesting because like growing up, my favorite comedians were very animated, you know, like very, uh, with a lot of act outs and that kind of thing. And that's kind of how I started comedy. But now I, because I've been working so much on getting the writing right, I've become like very like 
you know, just stand there with the mic and just deliver your joke. And so I'm trying to go back to who I was when I first started comedy, be a little bit goofier. Because I think that's the thing. People just kind of want to watch a goofball on stage, go kind of nuts, talk about things that interest them and apply to them and kind of take the piss out of everything, right? Like, so that's what I'm working on. I don't know if that's a very unique perspective, but I'm four years in, we'll see. Or no, sorry, I guess I'm six years in, but the pandemic. All right, so earlier you mentioned that learning how to speak on stage and leave some of your media training behind was a challenge for you. So was it difficult to transition with your writing style? I have to imagine there was a difference there because you spent about a decade writing from a media and journalism background standpoint, but writing for comedy just has to be different. Did you struggle when it came to writing your material and routines? Well, I think there's some similarities, like in both, formats you want to stick to like the economy of words and keep things concise and tight um and also like they say in the news you're supposed to write at a third grade re reading level i think it's the same for comedy like a lot of idiots come to comedy shows sure. me included <laughs> so <laughs> keep it palatable for all audiences but comedy writing is so specific i wouldn't say it's like the news very much i am so again ignorant on the how you break in as a comedian. Like I've been working in music for so long and I've had so many friends in bands. I know what the grind of being in a band can be like and the, the opportunities to get discovered and, and how you break through that way. But in comedy, like I don't even know where you would begin. Like when you went to LA, did you just walk to a club and say like, hi, I'm Kiki, I'm funny, please put me on your stage. Like how, how does that even work? Yeah, I definitely did that and had many doors slammed in my face. Uh, that is not the way to do it. Nobody gives a shit who you are. They don't care how long you've been doing it. Everybody has to start at open mics and just get to know people, you know, and just work on your craft, which is something I'm still doing to this day. Um, I personally feel like no matter how big you are, you should always be going back to the drawing board and always going back to like watch how the new people are doing it. Because even though I'm only 30 years old, I still feel like I need to see how these 20 year olds are doing it. Right. Cause it's like, it's a different thing. And those 20 year olds are going to be buying tickets and coming to the show too. So like, what are they talking about? What are they doing differently? And am I, am I out of touch? Like, am I getting old? You know? <laughs> like, so I think you should always be around younger people to stay relevant, but yeah, there's no linear way of like becoming successful. I have friends from Baltimore, Scott C Sahib Singh. They like, they're about to be like in movies and they're touring and like mm. all these things. They got famous through TikTok and Instagram, you know, and they're amazing comedians on stage too. They put their work in, but some people get discovered by going to open mics at the clubs and getting picked, you know, by the booker. Some people, you know, headliners take a liking to them and have them as features. Some people get famous through the internet. Like there's no right way to do it these days. That's the, that's the blessing and the curse of it. Like there's no rule book to follow, but also you can create your own path. My next question was going to be about social media, actually, because, uh, again, comparing to music, because it's the biggest piece of the entertainment industry that I understand and that I've been a part of over the last few years, TikTok and Instagram and social media have really blown up as far as music goes. I mean, an artist can record a song in their basement and blow up on TikTok. Now, all of a sudden, they've got a major tour and everybody else that's been playing basements and playing clubs for 20 years is like, wait, what just happened? How am I not getting these opportunities? So has yeah. that has that changed the game for you? Because you kind of entered comedy. I mean, social media was around but it's certainly changed a lot in the last five or six years. Yeah, you know, you hear a lot of comedians getting bitter and being like, well, they just got that because they have a lot of followers and they're missing the point, right? Like, if they have a lot of followers, it's because they bottled something, mm -hmm. right? Somebody is signing up to consume that. Somebody's standing in line to buy that ticket. 
and it's not going to be the same people that are signing up for you. Like everybody has their own lane, their own market, their own audience, and there's space for everybody. So instead of getting like jealous or like asking, why not me? It's, well, how can I do that for my own audience? Like who, who is coming to my show? You know, like Theo Vaughn is not going to be the same as like John Mulaney, two totally different audiences. And I've seen them on the same show. And that was like the craziest social experiment, right? Because <laughs> a John Mulaney fan does not have very much in common with a Theo Vaughn fan, but they're both great comedians and there's space for both of them. That so, is true. There's a lot of different styles of comedy. Like comedy is not a one size fits all. No, there isn't. There isn't. So instead of getting mad, it's just like without being dismissive, like fucking work harder. Like I'm still working harder. I'm, I would love to be further along, but I also know what I have done and what I haven't done. You know, like I could be cranking out more content and I'm trying. So We'll see. <laughs> <laughs> well, I love what you're putting on social media because I have not had the chance to see you in person doing stand-up, and I hope that one day I will have that opportunity. One of the things that I would say, if you don't mind me complimenting you, uh, one of the things that I think is your strength. I never mind compliments. Okay, good. All right, here we go. Uh, one of the <laughs> one of your strengths, I would say, is the way you react to your audience because I imagine you plan a stand-up set. You plan a set, you write, you've got an idea of what you're going to say, but you have to be prepared for what's going to happen in the moment. And you have to be able to not get totally thrown off track by somebody in the audience that says something wacky. I think one of your most recent um, stand-up routines you posted on Instagram, you were talking about what's the first question somebody asks you if you say you're a Latina. And somebody yells, how many kids do you have? And I'm sitting there watching, and I'm like, I don't don't even know where I would go with that. Like, I don't even know how I would answer that question. And you took it in such stride that I was like, man, Kelly or Kiki is just so good at reacting to what's going on around her and not getting thrown off completely off her game. Thank you. Uh, you know, sometimes are better than others. Like that, for, I've asked that question a hundred times. And so I've also heard that answer a hundred times. It probably did throw me a little bit the first time I heard it. But also like the audience, you know, they they bought a ticket to come out. They maybe got a babysitter. They paid for parking. They took an entire night to come see you. So. I love these people that are here sitting in front of me and you generally just have to treat them like they're a bunch of like maybe drunk little babies, you know, and they just want to be a part of the show. So no matter what you get thrown at you, like be excited. You're having an interaction. Like we're all in this together. I don't get mad at people shouting things out, especially when I pose a question like that. And it's so funny because like one of the comments I think on that video was like, oh, the audience is so much funnier than the comedian. And I'm like, I knew somebody was going to say that. I did it on purpose. It was intentional because it's a funny thing that people say, and I don't need to be the person that says it. It's funnier if somebody else says it. So for me, it was about creating that funny moment. It's essentially what you did with that is essentially like when a band is playing a song that everybody knows when they take the microphone and put it out in the crowd and let the crowd sing. Like you essentially did that. You gave the crowd the opportunity to be the star for that moment. And then you pulled it back in and were like, hey, look, I'm the person standing on stage now. Now I'm going to finish what I got to do. Exactly. Exactly. You're trying to make a point and the point was made and I don't have to be the person to deliver it sometimes. Sometimes the audience helps you do it for you. So, and you know how like special that guy felt at the end of the night? Like (laughs) I got to say that (laughs) she brought me into the show. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I mean, sometimes poor front row people don't realize what they're getting into, but I think by now with all the crowd work clubs out there, like I think people know what they're signing up for. The front row for a comedy show is my absolute nightmare because (laughs) you're right on the stage 
and you can't go anywhere. Like if you decide you want to stand up to go to the bathroom or something, oh no, everyone's going to see that you just stood up to go to the bathroom. That I like at a comedy show, I'm like, please put me in the back. Like leave me as far away from where anybody can see what I'm doing as possible. Yeah. Well, man, imagine for me, like sometimes I'll go to comedy shows with my family because I really want them to go see a certain comedian. And, you know, they're older, they're hard of hearing, they want to sit right in the front. And for me, that is the most mortifying experience, especially as a comic, because like, what if I know the person, you know, like, and you see me sitting in the front row, how freaking embarrassing would that be? But like, the last show I went to with my aunt, they kind of picked on us. And like, I really didn't want to talk. I really didn't want to be a part of the show. I'm like, oh, this is the this is my worst nightmare for sure. <laughs> <laughs> how has the family reacted to what you do? Because we were joking earlier in this conversation about how dark humor is kind of where your lane has been a bit. Like, how does the family react to the stuff that you post and the stuff that you do in your set? I'm sure they've seen you. Yeah, well, I think they've become just as big of comedy fans as I have, which is fun because they'll send me comedians that either I do know and love or they'll send me new ones I haven't even heard of, which is always a big surprise. But I, it was definitely shocking for them, some of the choices I made. Like, I do roast battle a lot. Yeah. Which is as edgy as it gets. Nothing's off limits with roast battle. And I think that was kind of shocking for my family um, coming from news. And, like, especially my dad is very, like, by the book. Like, we don't talk, we don't say these things. We don't talk about <laughs> these things. But I don't think that he gets that for me talking about things like race or sexuality or religion or whatever is neutralizing it, is kind of taking power out of it and kind of refocusing on the fact we're all people on this earth we all live we breathe we die you know like don't take yourself so seriously I love the roast battles that I see on social media. There's another woman that I follow. I don't follow a lot of comedians on social media, but there's a woman, Sarah Tiana, that I follow as well. Oh, I love her. And she posts a lot of videos of, I think it's a TV show or it's a show of some kind uh, where there's like a roast going on. And I, my brain just doesn't work at that speed. Like, I don't know, do you prepare responses in advance where you're like, okay, if he comes at me for this, I've got an idea of where I can go? Or do you literally just step on stage and go, well, good luck to myself? It's always important to stay loose, but totally. You come up with planned responses. Like, I have an idea of what people are going to make fun of me for, like, physical appearance-wise or background-wise. Like, I know people might talk about me being the news. They might talk about me having scoliosis. They might talk about me being Latina, but, like, looking white. You know, like, those are all easy boxes. And so I already have some kind of rebuttal for that in my head. And then, you know, there's always, like, just kind of generic rebuttals. Like, I'm just going to call them this kind of punny name. Like, oh, good one, blah, 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 you know? So you have your canned responses, and then you also kind of riff in the moment. So I've noticed, uh, and forgive me if this is not the way that you word this in the comedy world, but you've been kind of on, like, a little headlining tour recently. Uh, is that exciting? Is that awesome for you to be able to travel to different cities and be the featured comic of a place that you're going to? Well, I actually, it was my first headlining gig. Um, I have been touring, but just as another comic on the lineup, but I had my first Don't, don't say last... just another comic. <laughs> don't do that to yourself. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, yeah, <laughs> i got to change that internal narrative. <laughs> well, you know, for me, when I first moved to LA, like how you mentioned, how do you get started? I wasn't getting stage time. Nobody knew me from Adam. I didn't really have friends here. Um, I wasn't that far into my career. I had no credits. And so I was like, I have to go cut my teeth somewhere. And so I started going to San Diego because I could get stage time there. And I got better at comedy in San Diego. And then I realized, oh, the comedy audience in San Diego is so different than what I'm used to. It's a military town. There's a lot of Latinos there. Um, but sometimes they're conservative, you know, just because they're a certain race does not mean that they have a certain political view. And so 
you have to be on your feet and be willing to shift with the audiences. And so for me, I was like, whoa, this is so cool. Like, this is so out of my comfort zone. I'm learning a lot. So I started traveling a lot, Arizona, San Francisco, Seattle, Portland. And now I kind of do it all the time. It's still, it's still not financially where I need it to be. It's more of an investment than, you know, a moneymaker, but it's like paying for school for me. Like it's, for me, it's, you know, school in our hard knocks, like, oh, here's a new audience. Here's a new room. Here's a new, whatever. How do I get through it? How do I make this successful? I love that mindset because again, to use this phrase we've already used, you went all in. You were like, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to leave what's been safe, what's been working for me behind. And I'm just going to go ahead and do what I know that I love and what I want to see the rest of my life turn into. Do you see, did you see other people doing things that you were doing? Like you were living in LA, but you were going to San Diego. You were making a conscious effort to drive a couple hours out of your way to go perform just to learn and to get better. Did you see other people doing that? Or did you feel like, wow, I'm really like kind of uh, blazing a trail isn't the right phrase, but I think you know what I'm getting at when I say that. Uh, there was some people doing it. For me, it was advice from a mentor that isn't a comedian that was like, if you're not getting stage time here, get out of here. And so that was, that was the push for me. I feel like now I'm starting to see a lot of people do it. Is it because they follow me on Instagram or somebody else? I have no idea. But yeah, LA is a hard place to get stage time at first. And so I think people get frustrated and look for other avenues. However, however they got to that conclusion, I have no idea. So everything is a process, especially in the entertainment world. Everything's a process. It takes time to grow. It takes time to build your brand as much as we hate that term. So what is the next step for you? You've been doing this headlining tour recently, which has got to be amazing to be able to say that your name is on top of the bill. But at the same time, there's still more to go. There's still room to grow. So what is the next step for Kiki Anderson? Next step for Kiki Anderson. God, <laughs> um, get some sleep, maybe. Hopefully, uh, that I'm would sorry, be nice. I'm keeping you up. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, y'all, all good. This is fun. I'm not like rushing to put out a special or anything. I'm just, for me, it's how many new minutes do I have? So for me, I want to have an hour by the end of the year. Okay. Um, Where are you at now? Then I think I'm at 25. Okay, so we got yeah. some, we got so, some room. Yeah, but I want to like throw away that 25 and start all over. Okay. Okay. Yeah. I, you know, I didn't realize until it was, I graduated college in 2003 and right around that time, please don't judge me, but right around that time, the guy that everybody wanted to see do stand up was Dane Cook. And I think I saw him like seven times in a two year span and he was playing small clubs. Like I went to see him in Caroline's in New York. I saw him in Boston at a small club at one point before the big arenas started. And then everybody eventually started to hate him. But I didn't realize <laughs> at the time I, again, this is my ignorance of comedy. I didn't realize that comedians didn't do a brand new show every night. And I realized how stupid that is to have not realized that. But like, I saw him a couple of times in the same year. And I was like, wait, didn't I already see this? Not realized that I was like, I'm going to see the same exact show that I already saw. So I didn't realize that com comedians would have a show and they build off that. They grow, they drop things, they add things, but they have a show basically planned until they build a new show. And I, I don't know why I never thought that happened because bands do that musicians do that. Yeah. But for whatever reason, I thought comedy was like a different thing every single night. I had no idea until then. Don't feel bad. I also didn't know that. And when I first started comedy, I thought it was like some kind of sin to use the same jokes over and over again. And so I would come up with new jokes every time, which is twice the work anybody else is doing. Um, but I guess that forced me to write more. Yeah. When you on your website, it says you would do comedy seven days a week. 
I, I know you're not doing it at the same exact place every single night, but you got to imagine you're going to have some carryover of people that are just big comedy fans that want to come out and see a show. Did you do you feel pressure to have different jokes all the time or are you like, no, it's OK, I'm going to work on this routine and really just make this routine the best thing it can possibly be? I think it depends. I don't think that I have like fans yet. Like, I, I don't think anybody knows me. So it, are people coming out to see me over and over again? I don't know. I mean, unless they know me personally, probably not. So I don't feel weird about that. It's a weird space to be in being six years in, right? Because on the one hand, you constantly want to be doing your best stuff so that you're shining and that bookers see you and agency and whatever. You always want to be your best. But also, how the hell do you get to an hour if you're not writing new stuff? So yeah. it, it's a it's a back and forth that you have to decide show by show, I think. All right. So one more random thought for me, because when I see a comedy lineup that has like seven people on it, I think of myself at a comedy show. And after a little while, I feel like I kind of run out of laughter. Like I've laughed so much. <laughs> it's almost like when they put trailers at the beginning of porn movies, you're like, wait, I don't need this. Like I just just get me to the movie. So I wonder with you when you're on a huge, massive lineup where you've got like, I don't know, Bill Burr is the headliner and they've got six other people and you fall towards the beginning. Is that a great spot to be in towards the beginning or people do they react well to the opening acts in that situation <laughs> uh that's funny yeah we also compare it to porn it's like oh the audience blew their load um <laughs> <laughs> i've been in a privileged situation that many times i had to go up after the biggest comedians in the world whether it's tiffany haddish or like john mulaney or bill burr like i've had to follow people that are very hard to follow and that is a blessing and a curse. Sometimes you get to ride the wave and, you know, keep that energy. And I'm like, it's not even that I'm that good. They're just hyped, you know? But sometimes it's devastating, especially if that comedian goes up late. The audience is like, okay, I've been here two hours. Yeah. I saw Bill Burr. Who the fuck are you? So it kind of just depends on the show, really. It's like my two drink minimum is now a seven drink minimum by the time they get on stage. And <laughs> you've, you've got the drunkest right. audience also, around. I'm toast. Yeah. <laughs> right. <laughs> well, Kiki, uh, I know you post a lot on social media and that's a great way for people to find out more about you and to see your comedy. Um, is there anywhere else people should go if they want to find out more about you and follow along with your journey? I think Instagram and YouTube, TikTok, you know, the regulars, they're, they're all good places. I think on TikTok and Instagram, I'm it's Kiki Anderson and on YouTube, just Kiki Anderson. And it's Anderson with an S E N at the end, right? Yeah. Don't get it twisted. Yeah. I'm just making sure. I just want to make sure we throw that out there. <laughs> well, Kiki, it, it's such a pleasure to finally speak to you one-on-one -on -one and not via social media after all of these years of being familiar with you. I, I genuinely and truly mean this. I love watching what you're doing and watching how you've grown in this world and you're following your passion. I think it's so inspiring. I think it's fascinating. And I love to be able to say like, Oh, I saw her on Fox way back when here in Baltimore. I think it's just a cool thing to be able to watch all the things that you're doing out there. Thank you. I really appreciate that. And thank you for giving me the opportunity to come on your show. And, and thanks for, you know, finding the right time. I know it's hard with the time difference and I know you've got other things, not just comedy going on. So I appreciate you squeezing me in. It really means a lot. No, this was great. Thank you. I appreciate it. Big thank you to Kiki Anderson for her time. Such a pleasure to finally talk to her after all these years. Uh, as we mentioned, the best place to find out more about her and to follow her comedy is through social media. She's on Instagram, TikTok, YouTube. Just search Kiki Anderson, and that's Anderson with an S-E-N at the end. And thank you to all of you for listening. I, I can't even tell you in words how much I appreciate your support on this show. Until next time, be well.